You're listening to Insights for Living with Pastor Boju Oyemade. Pastor Boju is the senior pastor of the Covenant Nation. This morning, we want to continue on the subject of the blood of Jesus Christ, and um, I want to share on something which is the mercy of God. And I want to talk about the goodness of God that extends out of uh, the concept of him shedding his blood for us. Now, we understand that when he shed his blood, he went into the holiest of all as the high priest did, sprinkled it seven times upon the mercy seat. But there was something about the mercy seat. God told them in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 22, he said, I will commune with you. I will come and meet with you. He told Moses this, that I will meet with you on the mercy seat. And from that particular place will I give you uh, the commandments. Psalm 104 tells us that all, not some, all the paths of God, not some, notice this, all. Are mercy and truth. In other words, everything that God does, he does on the principle of mercy as well as truth. Mercy is his compassion, and therefore we must understand this, God will not violate his moral government in showing you mercy. We're going to look at it this morning. He will show mercy, but it's mercy and truth it's not mercy and deception it's not mercy and disobedience it's not mercy and lying it is mercy and truth but the first thing I want to establish about God because Paul said I know in whom I have believed he didn't say I know what I have believed there's the side of applying principles of God's word. But you can only do that when you first of all know who you are dealing with. Faith is based on the person. It's the personality. All right. That's why three people can tell you the same thing. But you depend only on one person because you know that person And the personality of that particular person is such that the person keeps their word. In fact, if they tell you, the three of them tell you to go and do five things, and based on that, you will get it. You are only going to obey the instruction of the person that you know to be true, to be good, all right, and to be a faithful person. So I want to establish something about God's personality and it's understanding the goodness and the compassion of God. Uh, this is the biggest attribute of God. Uh, the Bible didn't ever tell us God is wisdom. It never told us that God is power. It says God is love. God is good and his mercy endureth forever. So you define him. It never says God is power. God has power, but God is good. God is love. And so of all the attributes, if we put it that way, this is the most important attribute of God. And it is the foundation of our faith and our trust in him, that he is 
a good God. Not first that he is an able God, but first that he is a good God. Uh, many people think that the foundation of our faith is based on his ability, but the foundation of our faith we're going to see today is based on his compassion. What that means is his willingness to use his power, eagerness to use his power on your behalf. All right, and the blood spoke to this about his mercy and his compassion. So his willingness to do good to his creation, his willingness, all right, to show favor to his people. Psalm 34 and verse 8, what does it tell us? Taste of the Lord and see that he is good. Let's pick up that scripture, Psalm 34 and verse Eight. All right, it says, okay, from verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of how many of his troubles? All. We're going to look at that. The angel of the Lord encampeth around them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So it says, taste, come and experience him. You will see that the Lord is is good and blessed is the man that trusteth in him now what satan has tried to do throughout ages particularly in modern day charismatic move is to present a theology to us you know the bible tells us that he is transformed even as an angel of light to hide this aspect of god's person and to do what? Magnify the ability of God over and above his willingness to use his ability on your behalf. I'll explain this and we'll see this. So there's a tendency in human nature to have a concept of God. And if you think deeply about this, you'll see it's true that God is reluctant to use his power. In fact, our subconscious definition of Importunity in prayer and pressing in prayer is actually to overcome reluctance in God to release that particular benefit to you. Rather, it is actually overcoming the hindrance, which means that the way he has designed it is his heart is opened, but there is a hindrance to him and he says spiritual warfare is about the removal of that hindrance. But subconsciously, that's why we hear people say things like, you know, I was bombard bombarding the gates of heaven. I was, you know, I went fast, I tossed telling. And it's almost like there's a reluctance. And, and, and when it's that way, I mean, if, if you went to meet a person and told the person this, uh, you think about this, if I said to somebody that, you know, uh, I took a person to the hospital, but I said, do you think God is able to heal this person? And I say, you know what? I don't believe God is able to do these things. I actually don't believe he has the power. If I came out and I said, you know, God is not able. Um, the warfare is going to break out. Even among the heathen people will shout, what do you mean God is not able? God is all powerful and all of that. If I say that, you know, I don't think God is able to make you, for example, you know, a multi-millionaire in a year. What do you mean God is not able? My God is able. He's powerful. He's all of that. Now, then I say, well, if he's able to do all these things, uh, do you think he's going to heal this person and within a week this person is leaving this place? 
then people begin to scratch their heads. All right, so since he's able to make you a multimillionaire, and there are many good things you can do with money, uh, are you therefore going to become a multimillionaire in six months? They begin to scratch their head. People don't doubt his ability. What they doubt is his willingness to use that ability on their behalf to help them even when they're in desperate situations. All right? People question, well, you know, it has to be according to his will. If you say that, we have to ask according, we have to be sure he's going. It's almost like, I mean, Kenneth Hagin said this. He said, listen, when he was born and he was paralyzed and all of that, and he was on the deathbed and he had children uh, playing and all of that, and people came to meet him, even pastors back then, because divine healing wasn't being taught. And he told him that, listen, you know, just get ready to die and, and all of this, that God, and he told God one day, he said, listen, if you are actually this way, which means you saw me as a child born in this condition and you left me in this condition and I can hear my, uh, my age mates out there playing games and enjoying themselves and you put me in this condition then I would rather go to where they call hell than come to meet with you. So if you are not this way, show me. So that was the beginning, which means that people are comfortable, all right, to explain away, and we'll see this, from the scriptures that about things that actually hide the goodness of God, but they will challenge you if you say God is not able. So it's a wrong concept of God, and the blood speaks to this. And that's why the Bible says, when we were yet sinners, God, all right, so loved us that while we are yet sinners, in a state of hostility towards him, he sent Christ who died for us. He said, now, how much more, now that he has died, won't he, with you being reconciled unto him, show this? But there is that stronghold, I'm saying this again, at subconscious levels, all right? Now, so the goodness of God is the foundation of it all, that God is good. That's why the glory cloud always came down when people sang about God's goodness and about God's mercy. Let's look at this in Second Chronicles here. This is very important. Chapter 5, all right, and verse 13. It says this here, and it came to pass, all right, and it came even to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking God. And when they lifted up their voice with trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, that's the sound they made, one sound, everybody one sound. What was the sound saying? It wasn't the music, it was the sound, what they were saying, the content there, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. That then the house was filled with a cloud. And anytime God came on that mercy seat to commune with Moses, he came as that cloud. That was the Shekinah glory, his manifest presence. The sound that must go out of our heart is that you are good, regardless of what's happening. You are good and your mercy endureth. Listen to Jehoshaphat saying, they were surrounded by armies. Any time where people have released a sound unto God saying, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. In the midst of things that should make them not say it, they always overcome. 
Remember, it tells us that we are counted as sheep for slaughter. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors. How? Through Christ that loved us. For nothing will separate me, he said, from the love, which means from me singing, you are good. From my heart to him and your mercy endureth, all right, forever. So we see it happened here. Also, we see in Second Chronicles chapter uh, 7 and verse 3, it tells us, And when all the children of Israel saw how fire came down, what brought it? And the glory of God, of, and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. So what I want to paint, the picture we're painting, I think I said this last week in some of the services or one or two of the services, that, look, this is an attack on the fatherhood of God. And Satan is attacking that name. Now, in Judaism, they call God by different names, but nobody in Judaism ever called God Father. Nobody dared to do it. The name Father is a New Testament name. In fact, the only person who came close was David. And you know, David was highly prophetic because of his depth in worship. And he says, as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord had mercy upon them. But you know, he was far ahead of his time. He talked about priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. He said several things. So David entered into it and talked about the fatherhood of God just in a statement there. But Israel as a nation didn't know God as their father. They knew God as different names, Jehovah, 12 names of God. All right. Now, today we like to sound deep and we start quoting some of these names. Oh, Jehovah, Mekadesh, uh, Jehovah this and Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah uh, Rebecca, and say these things. But the real name that Jesus brought was Father. And it's because he began to call God Father that the Jews got angry and said, how dare you call him Father? So there is an attack on the fatherhood of God. And what do you mean by fatherhood here? Let's paint the picture here. If you go outside and you see children all hungry without, uh, hungry eating from uh, dustbin or something, and they're wearing tattered clothes, and you walk past them and say, where are these children here? And somebody says, well, their father is the richest man in this city. Uh, you say, what do you mean? You must be lying. No, no, no. The father is the richest man in this city. The next thing that will come to you because they have told you that their father has the ability to change their condition in one act. The next thing you're going to say is he is a bad father. So the idea that Satan is painting is that this person has the ability to change the lives of these people in one act. But he is reluctant to do it is what he's saying. So you look at him as a bad father. So when you go to pray, Jesus said it has to be our father. Is this relationship that you have with your father, that's the basis of your communion. So what Satan is doing is magnify the ability of God over and above his willingness to use that ability, downplay his goodness, when his goodness is really the key, all right, to every single thing. So what does it mean by God is good and God is merciful? It means he is willing to use everything he has to bless you. Every single thing that he has to bless you. He desires on the inside of himself to bless you. 
that is the state of his being. Now, that's why he said, if you've been evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more won't your father? You can see that that thing reveals the fatherhood of God. That's what Satan is attacking. How much more won't your father, all right, give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? So there's a willingness. He's in that state. Uh, and I want to challenge you and ask you this. If you knew that five people were very wealthy and had the ability, and let's assume you needed money, and there were five people who had the ability to do it, who do you approach among them? You approach the person you are told is a good person among them, that one who is disposed to showing favors. So if you know this is the person who is disposed to showing favors, you don't go on the basis of ability. You go to meet a person on the basis, really, of the kindness of that person, the person's disposition, all right, towards other people. And so Satan attacks that by exalting that ability and says, well, he's not disposed. So when people get into trouble, sometimes they talk to men and not even talk to God, all right, about it. Now, let's look at two scriptures here, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 27. Let's move on in this. Proverbs 3 and 27. All right, hear what God says here to us. Now, if God is saying this to us, how much more? All right, and I want to show something about his blood and, and paint this picture, and then we touch on the hindrance. Now, he says, withhold not good, Proverbs 3:27, from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of your hand to do it. Now, if Jesus, through the blood, we have redemption. Redemption means the price has been paid and the ransom has been paid. Your inheritance is called a purchased possession. It was paid for. Now, if it was paid for by the blood of Jesus, then it's your due. It's your right and privilege in Christ. So he says, withhold not good from them to whom it's due when it is in the power of your hand. Now, we don't doubt the power of his hand. In other words, then what we are saying is that he's withholding it. That's really what we're saying. He says, withhold not good. That is withholding good. He now goes on and we say sometimes, you know, God, you know, will delay it and, you know, want us. Look at what he says next. Say not, verse 20, 28, unto thy neighbor, go and come again. And tomorrow I will give you when thou hast it by thee. Now, you know what happens if we renew our minds? We go into prayer once and we stay in that place of prayer and get it. I mean, everybody wants to say that. We go into prayer and stay there, all right, until we get it. In other words, we know that, right, as he says here, he says, don't say go and come if it's by thee. So you understand, and we see this in warfare with the blood, we understand that, look, if God is this way, then where is the problem? Then you really understand what the warfare is. Where he tells us in Revelations 12, 11, he says, now is come the kingdom, his power, his strength, for the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. Now, so he doesn't want us to go with such determination and unleash the weapons of warfare on him because... All right, we already have the concept that we're going to fast and pray to try to persuade God to do something. And God's disposition towards us 
is one that he's totally committed, all right, to this. So he says this here. Uh, do not say, go and come. So this idea that God, he says, when thou hast divided, that God delays or, or God, you know, decides, that's not in him. Uh, his good and his mercy endureth forever. But this mercy walks with truth. And when we get to it, he says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. In other words, he comes, this is his disposition, but he will give you truth. And once you know that truth concerning that thing, that's why he said, you see, when he came in the glory cloud, this is what he was talking about in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 22. Look, look at what he says, Exodus 25 and verse 22. This is what he told them. He said, he says, verse 21, and thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark shalt thou put the testimony that I shall give thee, and there I will meet with thee. That's on the mercy seat there. And I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. So he's going to communicate. All things are done in mercy and truth. That communication is he's giving you truth. He says, I will commune with thee from between the cherubims which are upon the ark. All things which I give thee in commandment. So he will give you truth. He will give you instructions concerning that thing. But you must know there's absolutely, absolutely no reluctance in him. And for you to have that glory cloud where you commune with you, the song is a song about his goodness or his love, his compassion and his mercy in that situation. That's why Jonah said, they that observe lying vanities and sometimes forsake that mercy. Okay, so let's look at a few scriptures here. In Psalm 34, I just read this here, verses 1, where we saw the goodness of God as we build this up. So I want, first of all, I know this can be done just from one teaching and totally renew the mind, but we must start attacking this because that's exactly what he wants. He wants us to think about him as a powerful and able God, but one who is reluctant or one who is not conscious about timing of it, which is not true. He says, come to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy, that's that mercy seat, and find grace to help in a time of need. Now, that grace there is linked with truth because he says the law came through Moses, but grace and truth, which means once you find the truth concerning that thing, grace is going to be released for its fulfillment. So, Let's just look at this few thoughts here from God as we move on. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. He said, my praise shall, or his praise rather, shall continue to be in my mouth. My soul shall make a boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from how many? He says, all, not some, all my fears. They looked to him and were lightened. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from how many? All, not some, of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth around them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is that man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want 
to them that fear. That word fear means reverence. So we're going to look at that. Because one of the things in his mercy that he does as an act of his mercy, it's a judicial act, right? He, he wants to, when he gives you truth, he wants to correct something that is hindering that thing from flowing into your life. So when you go to God in prayer about something, he says, ask, and he says, you have not because you ask not. He said, if you ask and receive not, it's because you asked amiss to consume it. So what he does with truth is to show you where you are missing it. That's why he's a merciful and compassionate high priest, that he may have compassion on them that are ignorant. So in curing the ignorance, he gives you the knowledge of truth. And then you see that place. And once you make that adjustment, then you come into alignment with him. Psalm 103, verse 2 and 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not how many all his benefits. Part of it is, who forgiveth how much all thine iniquities, and healeth how many all thy diseases. So we have to know, not that God can, do something, we all know that, but we have to know he yearns, that the scripture says the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro the entire, he's looking for, but the hearts of the people, that's what he says, he, if, if the people reverence him, he will, and, and are humble, you know, someone told me recently during the week, he said somebody was arrogant, I said, listen to me, he said the person's getting arrogant, something, and I said, listen, there's a difference between arrogance and confidence, okay? When you listen to them speak, they may sound the same, but the person who is confident listens to others and makes adjustments when he gets correct, listens. The arrogant person, that's where pride is. They are not teachable. Now, they both sound confident. Even the arrogant person will sound confident, and but the scripture says that pride will always come before he fall. Because they overestimate their ability, they don't lean on them for help, they have, that's arrogance. But confidence is totally different. This podcast is brought to you by the Covenant Nation. For more information, visit www.insightsforliving.org. Thank you and God bless.